Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to a new week of Dunktown. Looking forward to starting to bring you guys some of the trade deadline stuff. But we need to do a West 15 and 60 Twitter mailbag. Thanks to all of you who submitted. Got ample questions once again. And quick note on the numbers. We're recording this during the day on Sunday. So Sunday's games will not necessarily be complete by the time we're doing this. In fact, I don't think any of their games are complete. But most of the numbers should be pretty close to accurate. And in that vein, let us start with the Dallas Mavericks. 24 and 15, a bit of a lull, 5 and 5 in their last 10, but still the fourth best net rating in the NBA. First in offense, 116.0. That is still fantastic. 17th on defense, projecting for 51 wins. That's just the sixth seed. They will be making the playoffs. However, a couple of notes on them, real quick. Kristaps Porzingis, we got a little more clarity on his injury with Tim McMahon. He. If you recall the history here, it was a late scratch on December 31st. He wasn't listed on the injury report before then, but he said that he overextended it in their loss to the Lakers on December 29th. And he said his right knee didn't feel right on the 31st. He's pulled from the starting lineup, and we have yet to see him since then. It did not play over the weekend as well. I, I think they've really missed him, Dan. You agree with that? I do. Yeah. It, it, and it, you know, with teams, especially as they're kind of in this early stage of building, any, any player you're missing can be incredibly important because remember all the cascading effects it has in a team's rotation. Yeah. And I thought, particularly against Denver, Porzingis was really the guy who killed them in that Dallas victory in Denver. And without him, uh, Denver did a pretty decent job uh, of slowing down Luka. It seemed like, and of course, uh, Jokic uh, bludgeoned to them into 37 points, uh, including the game winner. So, Luka Doncic for MVP. Luka, 77 for MVP. Who do you think the missing piece is for Dallas? He says he'd like to see Bogdan Bogdanovich and Al Horford. Remember, the Mavs were discussed as a potential Horford landing zone, but that, uh, of course, never materialized. Yeah, who is the missing piece? I mean, I guess we. this is a, a topic that's come up pretty frequently but to me they need to really be a championship contender they need at least one more possibly two more good defensive wings who can shoot and they probably need one other guy who can create a little bit as well so that that's a tall order despite the fact that they're a good team the things that they need are what everyone else is looking for scarcity i think is the big problem there too i mean it's not only what everybody else is looking for but where very few players exist 
I, the the two kind of archetypes that I saw is unless they feel Jalen Brunson is this answer, it would also be good to have a secondary ball handler who can shoot. You know, that the, the player that LeBron has been missing, the, really one of the only things the Lakers are really, really missing this year considering their success, just that other guy. And those can be hard to find too, especially if you have limited resources. And then, as you said, you know, the wings, the forward-sized guys, even if uh, uh, both of us think Porzingis' is, is endgame is as a center then having having more wings is more important. And not every team has to use a switching system, but having players who can guard the other team's best players, you know, obviously you don't want Luka doing that, and still hit open shots because the the Mavericks have more flexibility, like because they're playing a, a four-spacing center when Porzingis is at the five, to have a less shooting guy. But it, you still, in order to maximize things, to me, the, the idea that I've always had is that I think for a championship team, they have to be elite on one end and then pretty dang good on the other end. And so for Dallas, my theory has always been they're going to be elite offensively and then very good on the other end. So you can't compromise the offense too much. So here are some names in the summer of 2021 that are free agents that I think would be very interesting. Very early here, some of these guys have player options, some of these guys could extend. Contavious Caldwell-Pope could be a free agent then. Danny Green, probably going to be a little old by then. Josh Richardson has a player option. That would be a really interesting one for Dallas. And then here's the one I think is the sexiest. Victor Oladipo, age 29 in the summer of 2021. Well, and you could work Oladipo and, and Luca together. You could also separate those. You'd have 48 damn good minutes at, at creator. Yeah. And also. Well, well, Oladipo and Porzingis is an awesome oof, fit. That'd be nasty too. I mean, and, and Porzingis with the way that Carlisle's used him is more actualized, I would say, offensively to than, than Turner has been, especially because of where they position him all the time, that he's just out there. Um, but yeah, I, I think that could be pretty exciting. And also remember that Dallas, depending on structure, they could be a good, a, a good trade potential team as well, depending on how they want to, what they want to move out. So yeah, it, Dallas, I think, and I don't think they need to make that move right now. That's the other important part here. Sure. If you can get the equivalent of the James Harden trade and get a player before everybody knows how awesome they are, by all means. But I think that's a, a harder path to take. Um, and the question I want to do from, um, at, Uden Montalvo, Luca is the next big thing right now, but I feel like it's the same type of hype as Carly Towns a few years ago. What's the difference? Why will Luca be a permanent MVP type player like Towns? First of all, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe Luca has been better for longer now than Towns ever was. But the biggest part is their role within the offense. Carl Anthony Towns, he's he's a key player, but he's not a. This is why I use the term primary ball handler initiator. That's not really the way that he has been used offensively, whereas Luka, the ball's in his hands all the time. And a team having a dominant offense there, as long as there isn't anything unsustainable in terms of shooting, which I don't particularly see with Dallas, there isn't really a reason to believe that that won't continue because it is easier to use somebody who has the ball in their hands all the time than it is a big with unique skills. Well, and then you consider, too, that Luka is just an order of magnitude beyond where Towns was at this age. Agree. What explains the Mavs crunch time slash clutch woes? Well, you can go micro on this or you can go macro. I'm going to go macro. Generally, luck is what determines this. Now, certainly you might say, hey, if there's a team that doesn't have that one creator at the end of games when teams really lock in in the fourth quarter, they can stop that guy when they're really they're going to switch, say their best defenders on the floor, whatever it is. But, I mean, remember, Luca. I think – I don't remember the exact stat. He's some terrible percentage, like one out of eight or something and close games at the end this year and was like six out of 11 last year. So did he get worse 
is that what the the problem is he's got better talent around him this year so i I don't really see it i mean maybe you could say oh teams are more locked in oh no i think it's mostly bad luck now i will say this when teams really and i don't know that this has necessarily been what's happened to them at the end of close games this year but i do think they have a big weakness in terms of just not having someone who can guard the best wings on the other team and prevent them from getting to their spots and you know your Kawhi Leonard type of guys from getting to spots offensively hitting the twos that teams like to go to at the end of games and so that's a concern I mean Dorian Finney-Smith I mean we saw even in that Jokic back down at the end against Denver where you know Finney-Smith obviously is not supposed to be guarding Jokic in the post but they just you know, they, they had Dwight Powell out there. He wasn't really able to, like, be, be a help defender that well in that play. And Jokic just goes right through him. And, and so, I mean, I think their clutch defense I worry more about than their clutch offense. I don't, I'm don't. i not that worried about their clutch offense, ultimately. Well, we hit time during that answer. So we will move on to the Denver Nuggets. The Nuggets are 26-4. and four. Sorry, that can't be right. They are 26-12. and 6-4 and four since the last 15 and 60. They're now down to... 12th in net rating and that drop is on defense because they actually went up on offense they are uh they're 10th now in offense and 13th in defense 538 projects them to win 53 games which would put them in a tie for fourth in the western conference and they are going to make the playoffs yeah ian kip at 58 simoncelli you joined adam morris on lockdown nuggets last season gave a gloomy prognosis of michael porter jr's health and movement this was after seeing him in just a, a three-on-three game where the, they got totally destroyed last year towards the end of the regular season playing before a game at, at Oracle. How far has he come for that day you got him? I don't know that I gave a gloomy prognosis on Porter Jr. I just said that as of that time, it looked really bad that he really was not looking that athletic. And I think it's improving. Certainly, he's gotten some nice tip dunks of late. He's gotten some blocks. He, lo- he looks like he's getting closer, if not all the way there, to the athletic force that he was back in high school. I do think the hype on him is getting a little out of control. He, when he's started a couple of games with Millsap out, he's looked had some good games. But the way it always seems with young players is, you know, if you're just following along on Twitter or whatever, people will tweet about Michael Porter Jr.'s good games. And then if he has a, a two-for-eight game, it's just like not newsworthy. You know, people want to always see the optimistic part. So you really, you need to be careful here and look at the overall, overall body of work. Is it good that he's showing these flashes? Absolutely. And some of those step back threes that he's hitting, the amount of ground he was able to cover, the, the high release at 6'10, you can see how that can really, really be a weapon. I think he could be a, a very solid scorer in time and maybe uh, filling a niche for them. But I still don't see him getting to be a positive defensive player. Again, he showed some flashes as a rim protector, maybe. Still don't think he can get over a screen at all. You're not really going to be in a switching scheme with them. You know, We haven't seen enough from him defensively to believe that he's going to be a positive. He's not known for having that kind of a mentality. Uh, and perhaps Mike Malone can instill that. He's done a really good job with a, a lot of players in that regard. But you still have concerns about a Porter Jr. Jokic front court defensively. Maybe he goes into next year as the starter. Who knows? I mean, there's a lot to be written here. But certainly, I think I'm much more encouraged at this point than I expected to be maybe at the start of the year because he's shown a little more pop uh, so far that it it does look like it's coming back. And there's no way to know whether that's going to come back or not, you know, when a guy suffers an injury like that. 
from at Omar Wen. Uh, trade deadline ideas for Denver to overcome the Lakers, Clippers, and Rockets in the playoffs. I don't think there's a trade realistically that exists for them to move ahead of the Lakers and Clippers and the Rockets. Yeah. Well, well what, what do they need? What do they need? They need wing defense De- against those two teams. You need, I mean, LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard in particular. And those guys have to be able to shoot because those teams can can take it on. And I would say, depending on how they're gonna, how comfortable they are with Paul Millsap in a series like that, could probably want more rim protection too if you can pull it off. But that might not be realistic. There, I, I'm. Well, yeah. I mean, you're never. Gonna, I mean, the assumption is that they're sticking with this core. So right, I, I exactly. don't know how. No, you but get what I'm that. saying is like, yeah, because the problem is you want to you want to have guys that can defend LeBron, but you also want to have more help at the rim because of the the way. That- yeah, yeah. But between Millsap and Grant. I mean, you've probably got the best you could ever hope for at the four anyway, rim protecting. And then the Rockets, that's interesting. What do you think? What do you think they could do if you if you agree with my premise? If you disagree, of course, that's fine. Against the Rockets specifically, what kind of personnel is there? Any, I mean, I think a, uh, a defender that you can trust to check him one-on-one. I mean, to me, you just got to outscore them and hope that the Rockets miss their threes and, and you're going to double team a little bit more. Uh, obviously, than even a typical team would. That's what their their base defensive strategy generally is. That's probably what they need to do more against Harden, get it out of his hands. And you know, when you're following that strategy, unless Houston is just missing threes, they're always going to score at a pretty decent rate. You're giving up four on threes all the time, so you need to just get so good offensively that you can just outscore them. And so they really need a little bit more shooting on the floor, I think, to do that. I mean, the problem is, you know, who is the difference maker that's available at this trade deadline? I mean, we've been talking about it since last offseason. There was so much movement that there just aren't guys who are, are going to blow you away available at the trade deadline. It's not even so much that they're so far away. And I actually, I actually like their matchup okay against the Lakers, to be honest. Like, I think they could, Clippers less so, uh, but I think they can actually look pretty good against the Lakers potentially. Um because the Lakers' size and rebounding like isn't going to kill them. Lakers don't do a ton of like spread, pick, and roll type of stuff that I think is going to kill Denver. Maybe if the Lakers are going to go 80 at the 5, then that matchup becomes a lot more difficult. But that's not necessarily what they've been doing. Maybe it gets there in that series. But I think Denver can actually do okay against the Lakers, personally. But um, so, but yeah, as far as the trade deadline, I mean, and again, you've talked about this too. They have so much depth that it's really hard to find like the big position upgrade. I mean, unless you're going to say, I mean, the bigger thing you probably say they need ultimately is, you know, Jamal Murray is your number one perimeter option is just, isn't good enough. You know what I mean? That that's probably the most realistic place that you can upgrade and just get to really be like the best offense. In the NBA. They're, they're getting a lot better, but you throw in a really good pick and roll perimeter option with Jokic as well. I mean, Hollinger talked about this when he ranked the quarterbacks of all the teams. And he said, yeah, it's just, it's tough to do that with the center as good as Jokic is. So, um, but that player is available. Even if you're talking about Drew Holiday, that's still not necessarily the upgrade there either. So, um, yeah, it's tough to find the uh, what it is there. How are we doing on time? We probably uh, we're we're close. We're at, uh, a minute twenty. Um, from I'll do this one from Paul Dolores. Will Michael Porter Jr. have a larger role in Denver as the season progresses? I'd like to think so. I mean, they have. Depending on the, how the forward rotation 
goes in terms of health, I think there will be opportunities for Porter Jr. That's really how he got those starts was when players were unavailable, Will Barton and Millsap, I believe, in separate games. And Malone owes it to his, to himself and to his team to see what, what those kinds of looks are. And you brought up the idea of the Nuggets potentially having to outscore a team like the Rockets. Well, Michael Porter Jr. could be a really important part of that. So I hope they really do try it out. Also, because remember, I said one of the big storylines of the season for Denver was finding their power forward of the future. There's a chance it's Michael Porter Jr. And knowing that before they decide on Jeremy Grant and Paul Millsap is important too. My prediction is he will get a larger role in part because I think they're just going to be kind of putting Millsap kind of on ice, just shepherding him through the regular season, hope he's ready for the playoffs. I'm guessing that much like in the regular season, Porter will be at the fringes of the rotation in the playoffs, and that as long as things are going well for them, that will continue. If they get down in a series and it's just not working, they're struggling to score, maybe we'll see more of him as a desperation tactic. But I do think ultimately relying on a rookie in the playoffs is not really going to work. Uh, in Mike Malone's mind, at least. And and probably mine, too. I still think it, as a playoff player, I would have him behind Grant and, and Millsap there. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside and things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen 
cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O, Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Let's go to the Golden State Warriors. They are 9-31, and 3-7 since the last 15-60. They are not last in net rating anymore. They are negative 8.8, which is 29th in the league. They're still dead last in offense, but they're up to 20th in defense. That has been the biggest change. Warriors are still projected to be last in the West. It's actually a pretty significant golf. 26 wins, and they are not going to make the playoffs. Where are you going to start with these guys? Um, we could do this one quickly from t- at Todd R. Foley. Rehash why it would have been good for the Warriors hard cap situation to have kept Napier and Graham. And th- he had some other stuff about Myers as a GM. And we- that's come up in the not executive of the year stuff so far. Basically, the way that it worked was when you have a player on a multi-year minimum contract, they count for the cap and tax and hard cap at their full salary, the full amount that they are getting paid. So for those players, they counted at that full number. The Warriors could have theoretically given paid those players at that at that wage. It's just that they would have had less wiggle room under the under the hard cap to pay other players. So they would have. I, I think it's Collie Stein who got more. He got more than his minimum. They structured the contract that way. So that probably would have been difficult. But there are, there are other ways they could have structured it. They could have you know traded Jer- tried to include Evans in one of the deals or any number of other things. And yeah, I mean I think Napier and Graham would have helped their depth this year, but and so it was a mistake tactically. If the, if the goal was to have the best team possible, and remember the Warriors started this season intending to win, it was they were not trying to tank at least from an from a front office standpoint. So that that was a a pretty significant consequence. Now you could argue that what has happened is best for the team long term, but that wasn't the intention. Yeah, I mean ultimately they uh, the way it's worked out it Graham has shot it so poorly in Minnesota that he's not playing that much anymore. And that's always been the Achilles heel for him. He does uh, try on defense, but they've also, they didn't know that this would be the case at the time, but GR3 has actually been really good for them. And uh, so has Kai Bowman. You know, he's been a discovery who will probably uh, might be able to give them some decent backup point guard minutes uh, with the full team in the future. And so he probably doesn't emerge this way. If they have Napier, they probably would have actually ended up winning more games without him. So in the outcome-based decision-making, they're probably actually better off that they did that, except except the fact that they had to throw in a bunch of cash to get off of those guys. It would be would have been nice for them. You know, say Marquise Chris would probably still be on this team if they had some cash to move somebody else instead of him. Um, and Chris, I mean, I, I someone tweeted at me that, oh, it's just nepotism that Damian Lee is getting the spot instead of Chris. No, uh, Damian Lee is much better than Chris, more replaceable uh, or difficult to replace position on the wing compared to backup center and also his movement and shooting game i think will actually work very well with some of their stars once those guys come back so he's he's totally earned that spot despite what you know the surface level might indicate um jdm at option zero long time tweeter and supporter of the program which we appreciate should Golden State consider a D'Lo for Drew Holiday swap as a superior fit? Uh, he thinks that Golden State could reasonably ask for a small asset on top based on the age difference. 
I do not agree with that. I think that D'Lo just is not necessarily a winning player, and he doesn't seem like a David Griffin type of player either to me. And Drew Holiday is just a really, really solid two-way player. I agree the fit would be awesome. You put him at the two, Clay Thompson at the three, and you, your defense is looking pretty good all of a sudden again then. But uh, I think that Holiday is the superior asset, even with being older, even with only a year and a half left uh, before he can go into free agency. Uh, you know, again, Russell, I mean, to me, Holiday is probably an asset on his deal. Russell, to me, is not. And and so I would think Golden State would be the one having to throw something in there. Well, and that's worth keeping in mind in terms of, yeah, it's true that D'Angelo Russell is younger than Drew Holiday, but Drew Holiday is a materially better player on a more favorable contract. So just, just because a player's age doesn't sync up, and also I think Drew Holiday's defense could be a big asset for New Orleans as they move forward. If it was, let's say, undeniable that D'Angelo Russell's presence, the, the him alone test is what I've called this before, that if Russell guarantees that you're going to have a viable offense, then this would be a different conversation. But I don't think Russell has earned that deference. Yes, he made an all-star team last year. We've gone through that a little bit over over the last year plus. So I don't think you treat him as a, as a surefire offense saver. And you don't know exactly what you want in a pairing with Zion Williamson yet anyway at the NBA level because we just haven't seen it that much. Um, we can do this one quickly from at B Twitter. Why did teams, quote-unquote, miss on Kai Bowman? What does he need to do to maintain his position in the league? I think that the answer to both questions is shooting. Bowman, I mean, I didn't know really anything about him until preseason. I might have seen him in Summer League, but I, I don't really recall too vividly. I didn't actually watch the Warriors that much in Summer League due to my national profile and them not having that many interesting players in the immediate. And Bowman's athleticism popped pretty, pretty easily. Like that wasn't really a big surprise, but there are players with at point guard with NBA caliber athleticism that either can't run the offense consistently enough or can't shoot enough to make it viable. And so if, if Bowman can do that, then he has a place in the league. And even without it, he might be okay. Yeah. You know, senior point guards with 53% true shooting aren't exactly jumping off the the page at you from a statistical standpoint, but I, I do think his athleticism is there another thing to consider too uh, about him he did shoot it pretty well at boston college but doesn't look like a natural three-point shooter necessarily he's not like a high volume guy from the nba3 at this point and maybe that changed he was a relatively high volume guy back in college uh, taking seven per 40 minutes and hitting you know 39 percent overall three-point percentage in his years in boston college but the age wasn't on a great college team uh, but I think it was, he was a good scout for the Warriors. He, if he could move his shot out to three and with his athleticism, he can defend, uh, can finish at the rim when he gets ahead of steam, good transition guy. So no, I, I, I think it's just the over underwhelming, I should say college statistical profile. Um, all right. We, uh, we out of time on them. We are. We hit it just as you were fin- finishing your answer. So we can go to the Houston Rockets. The Rockets are now 26-12, and 6-3 and three since the last 15-60. They are 6th in net rating, 3rd in offense, 15th in defense. 538 projects them to win 55 games, which would be 3rd in the West, and they are going to make the playoffs. Uh, I will let you answer it, but I will ask this question first because I thought this was really interesting. From at Matthew N. Geist, if the Rockets lose in the first round or in a non-competitive way in round two, is this Daryl Morey's final year in Houston? Oh, that's tough to say. I mean, he definitely got a contract extension recently, and I think it is relatively high paying. 
it does say uh, there have been some rumblings about how maybe there could even be a hardened trade. I think Zach Lowe is, I mean, I don't think he said that's just his own personal suspicion, but do you, it seems like it'd be one of two things. Do you move on from Maury and try to find someone else who can make the moves that you think can make it work with this group with Westbrook and Harden? Or do, do you say, Hey, we need to reset and allow Daryl Morey to be the one to do that. It certainly he has a very good record of just finding contributors on the margins, and presumably they would go into a new era where they're going to be a little bit cheaper, they're going to rebuild, etc. I don't think so, though. I, I think he, because it, I don't see him just getting fired, certainly, at, at this point in time. So I, I no, I, I think they'll, especially given how much he's being paid and that Fertitta is not going to want to eat that, I guess you could say, well, you know, maybe what if it's the he's costing the team a lot of money in China, so he'd have to be fired there. So I, I'm not saying it can't happen. I think it's a I don't have a great feel for it, but my instinct is no. But may, maybe I'm allowing my appreciation for what he's done as GM over the years to seep in a little bit too much. And you know, Fertitta does seem to be a little crazy, so I, I wouldn't put it past him. I think there's another part that you're, I'm not going to say overrating, but maybe maybe thinking about too much, which is that you and I both agree that he's a very good general manager. And yeah. it's entirely possible that either due to sample or just because they val- he values different things that Fertitta sees it differently. And it, 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 you know, certain cases we can see it as being more objective or not objective. And then other ones, it's more in the eye of the beholder. And with general managers, it can get, it can get thorny in terms of, you know, like the kind of the mutual parting of the ways. That's the type of thing I could see. If the right offer comes available and Maury basically says, you don't have to owe me anything and then I can go take this job. I could see that. And, and especially in Matt, Matthew's scenario here where the Rockets could kind of be looking for some sort of scapegoat and considering the structure of their, their salaries and their players, it wouldn't surprise me if general manager is actually easier to do than a member of their backcourt, most likely. So I could, I could see that happening. I don't think it's necessarily like likely or inevitable or anything like that, but it is most definitely possible. How did Gary Clark go from a rotation player to let go in less than a year? Shooting is the answer. He actually, to my recollection, had a relatively hot start once he came in. And you'll recall that they converted him to that NBA contract right away. Also, I think part of the reason he got moved is just because they already have or or got released is just because they have Nene and Gerald Green who they just needed to hold on to for longer, who were, did have guaranteed amounts. And they, the idea is you pay as much of their salary as you can and then try to use cash to get off of them and create some more roster spots or bring in some other players at the trade deadline. So just to make sure they had enough room under the tax, they kind of had to do it. I think it still was more financial. And because of the fact that you can't just waive those guys because you want to hold on to them and pay as much of their salary as possible so that they, have a little bit less toxicity when you finally do move them. So, I mean, it is interesting to note that he didn't get claimed, but guys rarely seem to get claimed, and and he hasn't signed anywhere else yet. So maybe he could get brought back after the deadline. You know, that could be a big part of this too, uh, depending on where they are in relation to the tax. But it's a simple answer. Yeah, go ahead. Especially considering Nene is the single most likely player in the NBA to be traded at the trade deadline. So that'll probably open something up due to the contract structure i, I yeah I, I, but I but the ultimate answer is the ball didn't go in for him and they if unless you're a five man who's gonna finish at the rim if you can't shoot threes you can't play 
Yeah, I think, I think that's a big part of it. And then the other one that I want to mention briefly is because Houston got some better options. You know, Daniel House outplayed Gary Clark and is now on a, a stronger contract. He earned that earned that deal. And remember, they were playing the, the dance at when Clark signed his contract of trying to get both those guys around. Austin Rivers re-signed. Eric Gordon, is, Eric Gordon signed an extension. You know, you have all those things together that even though Gordon's been hurt a lot, that they, they just didn't have as much of a need for him. He moved down in the pecking order. And when a player moves down in the pecking order, they become less of a priority. And especially with the idea that maybe they could bring him back or somebody similar, then that made, that made more sense sense, as you said, than lining up somebody else. So I think that's a big part of it. Do you want to do a quick lightning round? We have a little over a minute left on uh, Al- Albino Wombat's question. Yeah. Would the Rockets with CP3 instead of Westbrook have been top tier contenders in the West this year, assuming that they could get along? Oof. I mean, I'm still not ready to write them off yet, especially if they can get a little more depth. Westbrook has been looking better. They've had some decent games against the Clippers, who you might say are some of their biggest competition. Uh, really interested to see them play more games against the Lakers. I think they they'd be favorites against the Nuggets. So I I it seems like they don't have as much talent as the Lakers and the Clippers. But I wouldn't say I wouldn't put them out of that top tier personally. But I, the question, the thrust of the question is, would it be would they be better off? And yes, but uh, let's see who's healthy when the playoffs roll around. Too <laughs> that's that's another part of it. Uh, and keep in mind too that Chris Paul kind of gets to chill for most of the game in Oklahoma City and then take over in the fourth. But Gilgis Alexander and Schroeder are doing a lot of the work, whereas Paul would be asked to do have a lot where he's just the only ball handler whenever Harden is out of the game. And maybe OKC is doing a better job with him medically. Who knows? But he, he's certainly looked better, I think, in OKC, just a, as a dribbler, a little more explosive than he did last year in Houston. So you don't know whether he would be this same Chris Paul. I do think he defensively, they would look a little bit better than they do with Westbrook. So yeah, I think they'd be a little better off right now, but I'm not going to say that that for sure would be the case when the playoffs roll around because of the health issue. And that to me is why they wouldn't have been a top tier contender in the West is just, I think that the Lakers and Clippers have more, they have more kind of to gain from this point in terms of getting into a playoff rotation, separating out the wheat from the chaff and Houston Sure. I mean, playing their best players a little bit more, but you brought up the wear and tear. So I don't think they would have been top tier, but I think they would have been second tier at kind of the top of that, which would be better. I, I would be more po- positive on them then than I am right now, which is pretty amazing. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Every sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. 
and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that hundred night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us let's jump to the la clippers the clippers are 27 and 12 five and two since the last 15 and 60 they're now fifth in net rating at plus 5.5 sixth in offense seventh in defense and 538 projects them to win 57 games which would be second in the western conference and we know they're going to make the playoffs so i, I want to ask you something here first you have Bu had, had a piece a bit ago talking about their recent malaise against uh, some bad teams are you at all concerned about the Clippers uh, at this moment when we're talking about them as being one of the favorites in the West? Not particularly. I mean, I watched a fair amount of their desultory win against the Warriors where <laughs> the Warriors, you know, largely outplayed them. And this yeah. was a team that had Warriors led by 12 going into the into the fourth, fourth and, and then, then were outscored by 19. That game and a couple of the other Clippers ones I've watched recently, they have some of the hallmarks of those teams that kind of know where they're going and that's all that's been a for years that's been a part of the you know third and fourth year of a of a consistent contender but remember that like for Kawhi Leonard who is at least partially a tone setter for this Chiefs team for not Chiefs for the uh Clippers team now it, Chiefs are playing right now are, oh, are they I know winning it's on it's, oh, it's on over my left shoulder that is why I, I turned I my eye turned to the movement and um I think that Kawhi, as a tone setter, does that. Also, remember, Paul George is still working his way back from his injury. And a lot of what I'm seeing from the Clippers, especially on the defensive end, is more just like, you know, a little bit lax, not attention to detail, more effort-based stuff rather than their talent is deficient. And generally for me, unless there is some sort of chemistry thing that would have propped up this quickly, it's more just this team understands that they're not competing right now. This is the dog days of winter. And it used to just be for the Cavs in their fourth year or the Warriors, you know, all that kind of thing. But now I think it's really, remember, tie it to players, not to teams. And there, there are guys here who know where this is going and understand that it takes time. They have an 11 net rating with Kawhi Leonard on the floor. They'll be fine. Yeah. That's that's ultimately what it comes down to to me. And, and you mentioned George being in and out of the lineup as well, working his way back from the shoulder surgeries. Now, I'm not saying this team doesn't have weaknesses. I'm not saying even necessarily that they're the favorite. But they've also had games where they've looked good enough. The Dallas games, the two Lakers games, where I'm I'm enough of a believer. They're going to have some stuff to sort out. Lou Williams, Harrell, we'll see. Those guys have some weaknesses. But no, they'll be right there at the end, I suspect. I don't think they're going to like lose 4-1 in the playoffs or someone. something. But let's, uh, let's get into some of these questions here. Taylor Clark, who is the best big man the Clippers can realistically trade for to help solidify their defense and... Again, I'm going to break out this document that I have here. 
of the players that I realistically expect to be available in trade and Hollinger and I did a whole podcast on this talking about who is available at each position and you know who are the difference makers here are you gonna say Andre Drummond uh you know Tristan Thompson like like who is I don't really see the any of these guys being enough of an upgrade on Harold. Yeah, there might be better defensively than Harold. And you might say they've got enough offense with Lou Williams and George and Leonard that you could go with more of a defensive option. But I wouldn't want to use up uh, all my bullets for this marginal upgrade at center. So that they could realistically trade for, yeah. You know what? Maybe they could go after some of these guys, you know, Derek Favors, uh, if he could ever stay healthy. Um, but I mean, Taj Gibson, there's not, to me, there's not anyone who's a better overall player than Harrell or even enough of an upgrade on Zubac that I think it's that realistic at this point in time that they would do that. I mean, maybe you just want to have another option in case of injury or ineffectiveness, but yeah, nobody sticks out to me. For me, it depends on if Miles Turner is available. I mean, I think he is, you know, he's more of an all-around player rather than just a defender. I mean, he had such a good year defensively last year, and there have been some steps back this year. I want to watch more film to kind of figure out why that why that was the case, watch a little bit more of the Pacers in the next few weeks. But I think he could he could be an upgrade. But also, Turner, the, the element that he brings is just a, a confident floor spacer can, can really have some effects on their offense and, and allowing, I mean, Kawhi can get to his spot anyway, but I think that could be really interesting. So I, but is he realistically available? Is he available for what the, the Clippers have to offer? I'm not entirely sure with, you know, like how Pritchard sees their front court rotation moving forward. And it wouldn't surprise me in the least if Pritchard and the Pacers want to see this team at full strength. And remember, they're going to get this team at full strength right before the trade deadline. So they're not going to have enough of a sample to work with there. Um, and that tie kind of also ties in with at Austin Ward's, or either way, his question. Um, everyone seems to think the Clippers need to upgrade at center, but do they really? Zubach has been holding up well and Harrell can't play next to another center on the floor. I think the idea behind that, which I stand by, is that if they need an upgrade somewhere, that is the most logical because when you think about Paul George and Kawhi, their position versatility, but they can't really push to the five. And then they have more guard options than they have bigs. And so the biggest part of this for me and why I think the answer probably still to me is yes, though it's less definite, is that the Clippers are focusing more on up to 14 games in May and June than they are having a good regular season net rating. And I don't. Yeah. Well, it could, it could be 21 games. It could be 21 games. But, but that's the, the point stands, which is how they fare, you know, beating up the bottom half of the league or whether they show malaise against those teams. You know, that matters a little bit in terms of seeding and all that. But are those players, what was the, was, is the term that Draymond used 16 game players? I think that was the phrasing, the phrase yes. that he used. And my, I don't know yet. I, and that is a lot of risk when you think about a championship window that could be narrow. I mean, Paul George and Kawhi only signed, are only on two plus one contracts, and Kawhi's already left. You know, he's already made his way out of one team and then left another championship contender. So even though it seemed he did that to join the Clippers, it is worth kind of keeping that in the back of your mind. And you never know about health and everything like that. So I think that's the reason you do it. And you can hear the timer going off, but you can answer. Sorry, you uh went on for a bit there what was the question again basically do you agree with me that we're not sure if Zubach and Harrell are 16 game players yeah I, I guess we're not Harrell has looked a little better when they've gone to switching systems he's guarded LeBron James okay is he gonna be able to guard James Harden okay I don't know you know that's uh I actually kind of like 
the Clippers match up with the Lakers right now better than I do Houston. But, you know, maybe if it's Paul George or Kawhi Leonard really locked in guarding Harden, it, it can look a little bit better for them. Yeah, I think you're concerned. But again, you're just a, you're wondering of where the upgrade comes from. But you, you're right. You know, this isn't like the Pacers where it's like, ah, oh, we'll get everyone healthy, see how it is. We got a young roster. We got time. Guys are under contract. Yeah, this is one of really their two seasons that they have locked in before those guys could be free agents. Again, not that I believe they're looking to get out of there considering they, they're both uh, from the area and seem to be really happy there. Lakers, 32-7, and 8-1 since we last checked in on them. Second in the NBA, plus 7.9 net rating in non-garbage time per cleaning the glass. Fourth on offense, uh, and worth noting that they play at one of the league's best rates when LeBron James is in and fall to pretty terrible without him. Fourth on defense, projecting for 62 wins now, which would be first in the Western Conference. They will be making the playoffs. And I want to start here with uh, Armin Bradford. Does Darren Collison move the needle for the Lakers? Uh, there's talk now that he wants to potentially return to the NBA and with the LA teams, him having gone to UCLA, and I believe being from the LA area, uh, being of interest to him so basically you're you're putting collison in the rondo role uh, is that how you're saying it danny yeah pretty much and collison yeah you're right he is an la native he's uh from rancho cucamonga and went to ucla so really a, a local kid and who's who's already played in la he had that year for the clippers when he was basically chris paul's understudy and i think that he does move the needle for them and this kind of ties in with another question we got because he isn't rajon rondo and collison has shot over 40% from three in his last four seasons, 30%. And I think he could, you know, the attempt rate is never super high, but remember he didn't always play in, on teams that valued those high attempt rates. So you could see that, you, you know, like his highest career was 5.2 three-pointers per 100 possessions. That was in sack um, in 14-15. And he's been a good off-ball shooter for a long time. He can hit free throws. So you could you think that could continue. And I, I think that you don't need, you know, perfection necessarily next to LeBron James, but guys who the other team has to actually put a guy on can be really useful. And Rondo has these strengths. I mean, we've talked about, I mean, his passing when, when it, when it, when it's going well, like Rondo can do throw some amazing, has some amazing reads out there, but that part of it is less of a value add for me. And Rondo, I, I guess I'm going around this a lot of different ways of saying Rondo takes more off the table and that's more important on a LeBron James team. I think you make the argument that for what they need, it's possible he wouldn't necessarily be an upgrade that much on Rondo. They need more defense at that position. I don't think, I think Collison's a little bit better than him, but they're both pretty skinny, no physicality, can't switch. I Rondo runs a better pick and roll than Collison does to me. Uh, and they need with LeBron off the floor. If you're talking about just only playing when LeBron is off the floor, Rondo probably helps you more there. Although, as mentioned, their offense with LeBron off the floor is pretty rough. Some of that hasn't been with Rondo on there. But Collison, his shooting ability, yeah, I think he's kind of limited in the number of threes that he can take. Now, has he ever played next to someone like LeBron James? No. I think he can make wide open threes, but his shot form is just very elongated. He has to kind of lean forward in an odd way. And so it takes him a while to get it off. So I don't think he can be a huge high volume guy. There. still probably more of a threat than Rondo, you would say. Um, 
and maybe a little bit faster in transition than Rondo. I think they both do a pretty decent job there. I don't really love his fit. Sure, it's nice to have another option. Would he give him more than Troy Daniels? Sure, go ahead and sign him. But to me, he wouldn't be in their closing lineup. I would rather just have LeBron and KCP and Danny Green, Davis and a center, or maybe you, you throw Kuzma in there, but go with more size because I think Carlson is just, he's too small, just has a lot of weaknesses. He's just kind of like a steady guy. I think he could help some other teams more necessarily than the Lakers or Clippers for that matter. So uh, I don't love his fit on either of those teams. I agree with you, but I also want to push back a little bit. I mean, being in the Lakers closing five is, is a pretty high bar considering some of the other players that are on yeah. the team. And we like I, the I, he's a better fit with LeBron than Rondo is. I will yeah. say and that. that. And that's exactly why I'm, I'm more positive on it. And there aren't necessarily, at least off the top of my head, that many guys who could like step into the Lakers rotation right now that are available at the cost of zero. You know, maybe you, and, and remember the Lakers asset, asset pool is, is pretty limited right now. So I think that's there. We can do quickly. Um, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Can we do this? What is the best way to replace Rondo question? Sure. I got some thoughts on that. Okay, let's do that from uh, that's uh, right, at 9540 Steph. Um, you know who I actually think would be an okay fit here that I, I would want to give a chance to is uh, Brandon Knight. I think he could play off the ball, shoot it a little bit. He's like shown some signs of life with the Cavaliers. He's got a little more size. I mean, maybe I'm overrating it because he's actually gets used as a defensive replacement because they've had no one else uh, until Dante Exum came in to do that. But I think he's still capable of making an open shot, defending. Now, you know, 48% true shooting, not amazing there. Uh, Chaz Napier is maybe another one. He'll probably finish the season in, in Minnesota. I was thinking of Knight as a buyout guy, obviously, not a, a, a trade candidate. Um. Other than that, there's not really anyone who's probably going to become available this year on the buyout market. I actually would probably like Knight a little bit better than Collison for them. But uh, again, you know, maybe Knight's shots just don't go in and, and that uh, ends up killing you. Um, Matthew Delvadova probably will be available as well, but he's been totally powerless uh, offensively. He does have some experience playing with LeBron, but uh, it seems like his shot has really deserted him. So I think ultimately the upgrade of how do you replace him is you know, maybe it's Andre Iguodala that, and then he kind of plays the Rondo role, handles the ball a little bit more to give LeBron that break and also gives you more size. But I, I think the way, the biggest way to replace him is just not with a point guard. That's probably what it, it comes down to for me. Yeah, especially in the closing five. And, and that's also when you think about role, why Iguodala is so compelling as a buyout player is because he, he fits so well in a lot of the different concepts that we've talked about with the Lakers, where they could go and he can defend different players, could make life easier on LeBron. So if he's willing to do it, former point compliant, I think that solves a lot of their problems. Um, Here's one for you. This guy's going to get bought out almost certainly. Would you prefer Evan Turner over Rajon Rondo? If you had to pick one of the two. Oh, jeez. This is this comes on the heels of Seth Seth proposing a Wiggins for DeMar DeRozan trade in our in our collaborative piece. I you're just like making me do all these like opposite Sophie's choices. Um I think I, I don't I don't know why this is just like my gut is saying I I think Rondo can figure out some of those elements I just don't trust Evan Turner um ooh I don't know though what about you <sighs> probably Turner just due to the defense although it's like truthfully though Rondo is like a way better shooter at this point yeah I was thinking and about and that he at well. least can run pick and roll whereas like Turner can't even really do that so oof yeah it's tough depending depending on what you need and what the matchup is um do you have time for any more or are we done here. 
the timer went off. If you want to, if you want to do the other question as a as a lightning round, we can balloon. Yeah, one way uniform asked about what kind of deal KCP might get in the summer. He will be here because uh, he can't be traded without his consent. Making eight million this year has a player option for eight point four next year. Lakers will have full bird rights on him. They will be over the cap and are unlikely to have cap space in the foreseeable future as long as LeBron and AD are on the team. So not a huge opportunity cost to bring him back. You imagine his market is probably going to be somewhere around the the mid-level exception. Uh, He did mention the Hawks as a team that could bring him back to Georgia. I'm not sure that the Hawks are are, are looking for a two. They probably want something more as a three, four, but that's probably the, the one team that maybe could offer him more than that. But you know, maybe I think Mem- he, he maybe Memphis, yeah. but I think they. I don't think he yeah. would play well with Dylan Brooks. I think you'd want to go a different way. I would like him as a as a transition guy. There, uh, he does get out uh, on the floor, uh, although maybe a little bit less so at, at this point in his career. Um, no, I, I would, if I had to predict, you know, he comes back on like a two year, twenty four million dollar deal. A lot of it depends on how their season ends too. If they win the championship this year, they'll bring everyone back for sure. You know, well, and the other possibility that the Lakers could do, uh, and this is, I would advise Blanca to do this if they can, is maybe you give KCP a richer deal, give him more money if he opts out for. 20 slash 21 and then have some sort of partial guarantee or team friendly thing for the following year that could be you know because if they're going to be kind of in the lesser part of the tax anyway maybe you can save a little money for the future year hedge a little bit too at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, picking it back up now to record the rest of this after the games are over. And fun team to discuss here. Am I reading this right? 18 and 22 Memphis Grizzlies, Danny? 7 and 3 in their last 10? Yeah, you really are. The Grizzlies now, not only that, but they're now up all the way up to 20th in net rating. They're 18th in offense and 20th in defense. And yeah, I mean, 18 and 22, the Grizzlies, 7 and 3 since last 15 and 60. 538 projections have pushed them all the way up to 34 wins, which is 11th, which is actually a significant downgrade off of where they are currently are in the Western Conference. And they're 8% odds. And I think that's a good lead in to the question from Cooper Hurd at Join the Herd, which is would making the playoffs this year help hurt or trivially affect the long term rebuild of the Memphis Grizzlies? My tentative read and and Remember, what makes Memphis a little bit unusual in this context is that they do not own their own first round pick if it is if it is within the bottom 24 if it's top six then it will go to the Boston Celtics and I mean to me so I, I I'm kind of of two minds of this but my main one is that as long as as long as the front office doesn't read too much into what happens this season that overall it's a positive you know getting to see these guys go into it it's a very weird western well, conference. well so when you say read too much into it what is the danger that you perceive in doing that well so I wrote about this a little bit for the athletic um I think it came out on Thursday maybe Wednesday 
say, is the idea that Memphis is one of the few teams that actually has cap space this summer if they want to use it. And if they chose to interpret themselves as immediate buyers as opposed to eventual buyers, so going for players who were a larger part of their present and immediate future as opposed to saying, okay, we have Jaw, we have Jaron and Dylan Brooks and a few of these other guys, and we can work within that for the long term as opposed to, hey, look, we can compete in the Western Conference right now. Look at this. We made the playoff. Yeah. Okay. I, that's interesting to me because I would move two minds of that. You know, I want to see where John and Jaron are at the end of the year. You would think they need one more real foundational piece. I think Dylan Brooks, who we'll talk about a little bit later, is a solid option. Certainly, you know, has emerged as probably a starter level of player this year. They could use one more real like three and D monster on the wing. They could use one more guy who looks good creating off the dribble. I think Brooks might look a little better if he calmed down on some of that stuff rather than expanding his workload so and they've gotten a lot out of some pretty decent depth pieces here but they need that pick also you know and i mean they're starting to play pretty well here i mean they are a 117 offensive rating since december 15th i mean that's insanely good and that's third in the nba plus 3.7 net rating in that time period offense overall is up a a little bit there the jazz actually number one 118 offensive rating since december 15th it's almost a month of basketball but anyway i really would like it for their long-term future if they could keep that pick maybe with the new lottery odds they have their cake and eat it too and they get into the top four despite not being a top six seed quote-unquote in the lottery i don't know if it would be the end of the world if they spent their cash on some veterans this offseason because i think your dollar is never going to go further on veteran free agents than this year especially for a team that hasn't traditionally been a free agent destination and there are so few teams that can spend above the mid-level exception that they really might be able to have kind of their pick of the litter especially because some of these other teams that have cap space aren't necessarily looking like they might be able to compete for a playoff spot even next year you know if you're talking about the hawks and the knicks and the Cavs, this is uh and they've got some exciting talent so i don't think it would be the end of the world if they really tried to take a step to get better next year because i i think it's becoming clear unless there are injuries that they're not going to be picking at the top of the draft any longer if it, this keeps up and they obviously i think have a good coach until jenkins now perhaps this is all mirage and they're going to sink back and they'll really start going into the tank but I mean, they've got Valanchunas there for a while. I think they're going to just like sit him down. I mean, the young guys who are, I mean, that's what's so exciting about this is Ja and Melton and Brooks and Jackson. I mean, those are what, four of their six best guys right now? And those are the guys who are driving a lot of this improvement. And Brandon Clark, you throw him in there too. I mean, that's like five of their seven best guys. Right. And you use the phrase mirage. And I think that's a really important and instructive part of the Memphis picture so far is that this is their young players their young core that is really building them towards this direction and memphis depending on how this is structured i I think the number that's in my head is about 50 million in space now they shouldn't use all of that right now unless they really get the right players but they could use a portion of that to get veterans to get players who fit in with as you said the the kind of players who were under contract for the long time and I, i i think that this could work out to a viable balance and when you consider also just the structure of how many talented young free the restricted class already signed. I think, you know, th- there's the possibility that even if Zach Kleiman and the rest of their front office is aggressive, that this could still work.
work out largely in their favor give us a little bit more context here for that offensive rating that we're so excited about there are some signs that maybe it is a little bit of a mirage because they are only 15th in the nba in their location e-field goal percentage over that awesome period since december 15th and second in the nba and e field goal percentage during that period now a lot of that is what the damage they're doing at the rim they're shooting 66 percent at the rim which is really good but they're also at 38 percent from three and i don't know that they have that type of level of shooters and they are also also 46 percent from mid-range and they've got some guys who shoot pretty decent floaters like clark and jaw but that's going to come down as well so they're not the third best offensive team in basketball right now i think they could potentially play better than 23rd off or defensively which is what they've been in that period so we'll see whether this keeps up or not i mean a lot of it is based on unsustainable shooting there is not a ton in the other three four factors to love at the moment about what they're doing um but yeah i mean i still would feel better about it if they had that draft pick but i think they're gonna have to depend on luck for that and the other thing too you might say is oh well they instead of signing free agents they should take on bad money instead but nobody's trying to dump bad money so maybe that'll change in the summer of 2020 as teams try to position themselves for the summer of 2021 and we see what happens with Giannis whether he takes the designated veteran extension or not but I mean I think ultimately they just got to try and and find the best uh, veteran starters that they can on this market and maybe just build a really deep team and then hope that Ja and Jaron develop Um, but I mean you see you're gonna see the damage if they lose their pick this year that that trade back in 2015 it, it could really hurt their rebuild because who knows when they'll be picking at this level again here yeah and to an extent connecting with that from um matt herlicka he set the over under at 9.5 million per year on dylan brooks's contract this offseason a little bit of context dylan brooks is a pending restricted free agent who is not arenas limited because this is his third year he had largely a lost 2018 19 season but of course that still counts brooks is this is age 24 year shooting 39% from three. And that number 9.5 million is is pretty kind of close to spot on because remember that the one of the functional numbers here is the non-taxpayer mid-level exception, which is around that $9.5 million range. And yeah, I think that's- I, I've got it projected at 9.8 for next year as of now. Yeah. So that, that, that's pretty much spot on. And Brooks's cap hold is, is lower than that 9.6, but that only matters if Memphis spends up all their money, which I'm not entirely sure of. So I think that 9, 10 million is about right. And the challenge, you know, really when you see a pending restricted free agent drop is when there isn't as robust a market. Marcus Smart is a really good example of this. And Dylan Brooks could be there, especially if Atlanta is not particularly interested. But I also don't know if Memphis, especially if this season goes as anticipated kind of as of now, if they're really going to play super hardball. So I think he'll be in that $10 million a year range. Yeah, I I mean, I really like what he's done. Now he does foul a ton. What? No, I was agreeing with you that the range seems reasonable. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I know we're we're pretty close out of time here i think that i might be interested in going a little higher i mean i like the way you shot the ball i think if you can get rid of uh, some of the bad shots a little bit i mean I had a, a tweet i think it was in the phoenix game where he made three threes in a row and i'm like oh yeah this next one's gonna go up it's gonna be a terrible shot and he's going to miss it and, and that's exactly what happened but he you, know, you trim a little bit of that fat out he competes defensively to me he might not be a number one level of stop 
separate, but he's guarding the best guy. You know, I thought he did a pretty decent job in Devin Booker in that Phoenix game. He's got some size. He competes. He's just not like an unbelievable athlete. And he fouls a lot. And he kind of gets a few tough fouls, especially in that Phoenix game. He got two in a row that were uh, pretty dice. Or maybe actually that might have been the Spurs game that he got two in a row that were like really dicey, including a kick out by Bryn Forbes that got challenged, but they just didn't have the right angle to overturn it. Okay, let's talk uh, Wolves here. Yeah, let's do it. The Minnesota Timberwolves are 15 and 23 and even 5 and 5 since the last 15 and 60. They are 19th in net rating, negative 2.3, 23rd in offense, 16th in defense, and 538's models project them to win 35 games, which would be 10th in the West. 538 gives them a 12% chance of making the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. And I'm going to give this question to you because Seth, Partno, Sam Vecini, and I talked about this a lot in a uh, collaborative piece that we wrote for The Athletic from at Dad420Me. Are the Timberwolves sellers or buyers at the trade level? Oh, man. I think you got to say sellers uh, because there's not this would, it would be chasing the eighth seed if they're buyers now if they're a buyer in terms of a long-term piece i mean i still don't love the d'angelo russell idea for them but if they can find a young point guard i th- i was talked about this a lot with hollinger when we previewed some of the 2020 draft that there are so many point guards available that i anticipate either that they'll be able to draft one or that they might be able to trade for one for a team that wants to draft a point guard so i don't know that i see a move developing there also and that's something to think about if you're the warriors trying to trade d'angelo russell that there are not very many free agent point guards and then there are all these point guards in the draft you know our team's really going to want to fork over a bunch of assets for Russell and especially in the offseason as opposed to at this trade deadline. In any event, this isn't the Warriors section. So I think they're probably sellers. Robert Covington, age 29, still has two years left on his deal at about 12 million per after this one i'm not sure who else on this team has much trade value does anyone pop out to you Oof, not particularly i mean the wolves and this was something i ran into in that collaborative piece that we did is that the players that have positive trade value are guys that they would presumably want to keep so then that you run into a lot of problems there yeah uh, i mean jang is playing a little better but again you can't take back bad salary for him exactly like like so yeah. you, you jang is less negative than we thought he was but you still keep him around because you wouldn't want to and this is the the concept i talked about with with andrew wiggins is would you want to pay another team to take on that negative value and my answer is no yeah shaz napier if a team needs something uh, at backup point guard but uh, nobody particularly comes to mind there uh, as far as a uh, good playoff teams that really need someone who's going to be too small in the perimeter when you really get deep into the playoffs you know he's kind of more of a get you in guy by not killing you when your starting point guard is off the floor um yeah i, I mean certainly there's nobody at teague seems like more of a buyout guy so covington is the only one that could return substantial value and i'd certainly be listening on him but i mean if it's a first round pick i mean is that really do that much for you you know i talked about this on ethan's podcast towards the end with him and Amin El Hasanov, and you got to kind of make this not be a tire fire so that Towns isn't going to like really want out because they're not even close to playoff contention. You know, the path to getting to be, you know, a conference finals contender doesn't appear to be very open, particularly, but at least you got to buy yourself a couple of years of him not checking out completely by being competent. And so if you move Covington, you're taking another step back, probably. Especially um, if the yeah. value on him is low, which it feels like it is right now. So selling 
phrasing, I mean, this is a, uh, to me, the, the phrasing here would be that it's a really bad time to be a seller. So then you probably shouldn't sell. And this is kind of kind of the idea that I got into in, in the piece. And if that doesn't necessarily mean that the Timberwolves should be a buyer, especially because they're pretty asset poor at the moment, but it probably means don't sell on Covington because you'd probably be selling low. Yeah. I mean, if the Clippers offer their first round pick and Mo Harkless for Robert Covington, are you biting? I, I think I probably wouldn't, right? I don't think I would. I mean, that's going to be a pretty weak first round pick. Uh, yeah. And, and there, and there may be, you know, maybe you could even get more for him at the deadline next year. Although, right. you know, his knee maybe is the ticking pine bomb. I don't know. Should we do a lightning but, but, round here? Well, yeah, yeah we can yeah, do sorry, a lightning round. But a quick thing to mention there on Covington is it is entirely possible that a late first round pick is going to cash out. But the expected value is actually pretty low. You know, like we've talked about before that if you if you get a low end rotation player at that spot, you're pretty pleased. And if that's what the upside is with Robert Covington, then that's a pretty low return relative to what Minnesota wants to be in 20 slash 21. Okay, we're pretty close to out of time here. So yes. let's do like... What do you make of Culver's recent play? It's been better. He's had some big dunks. He's looked more athletic. I don't really buy the shooting still. He still has 44% true shooting on the season. I think he's shown some ability to defend, particularly against smaller players, and has looked a little more athletic. Uh, you know, I think he's uh, growing into his body a little bit. It had some big dunks that you didn't necessarily see as much at Texas Tech. So I found it mildly encouraging, but the overall season stats are, are still horrific. And from at Nate Westerman, is there any Chris Paul trade that makes sense for both the Wolves and OKC? I don't think so, considering Oklahoma City is not desperately avoiding the tax for next season and I don't think they're they're desperately looking to avoid Chris Paul from that from that standpoint so for example let's say like a Teague and Jang for Chris Paul trade I think the Thunder would be responding to that saying we need more present value we need more future value and if it's richer than that for Wiggins Wiggins for Paul oh lord Sam Presti athletic wings I mean, I wouldn't do that if I were Oklahoma City, but we, I mean, I acknowledge that you and I are lower on Wiggins than most people. All right. Seven minutes on the clock for the New Orleans Pelicans, 14 and 26, but suffered a blow as Derek Favors suffering a left hamstring strain. Again, that posterior chain all connected. He had had some lower back issues throughout his career, including earlier this season. They don't expect it to be a big thing for him, but you know he had he played 34 minutes in that Lakers game. You know, it really seems like you got to manage him extremely carefully, and he's so incredibly essential to what they're doing. You know, Jackson Hayes just is not ready defensively, even if he is putting up some okay stats offensively. 19th in the NBA, negative 2.3. Oh, sorry, that was those that, uh, that was the Wolves. Let me scroll down. Negative uh, 2.4 net rating is. 22nd in the nba 15th on offense 23rd on defense that's gotten a lot better obviously they project for the eighth seed right now according to 538 38 wins uh, but there are a lot of teams kind of right behind them projected in the 34 to 38 win range so that is by no means secure but 538 thinks 41 percent chance at the playoffs zion williamson starting to sound like he could come back in the next week or so where do you want to start as far as questions are concerned here? Oh, uh, let's start with one from at Wholesome Sir. Brian Windhorst mentioned that the Pelicans could be buyers at the deadline. Who are some targets that a team fighting for the eighth spot could be looking at? And this gets into uh, an interesting couple of questions for New Orleans. One of them is, who are they really considering moving? And the most logical piece, should they be in that mode, is... Well, well we're talking about them as buyers, right? 
Well, that, I think that's the first question is, are they buyers or not? And I would say the Pelicans should be at least tentative buyers. And a part of that is because of the Darius Miller situation. So Miller functionally, you know, out. I think that's the way that I would treat him. But remember that David Griffin signed him to what, I, what I'm what i calling now the walking trade exception. And so Miller, I, I believe it's $7.5 million for this season and a team option or non-guarantee for next year. So the, the Pelicans could theoretically just clear a small amount of cap space if they let favors go i think the preferable path would actually be to use miller to take on a longer term salary but that requires another team playing ball and wanting to clear some money in exchange for taking on Darius miller who obviously is not going to help them this year yeah i think you don't take on somebody just to chase the ac this year maybe it could be someone with bird rights where you think you could resign them i'd love to get someone under contract for even a year from now remember that they, they've got some pretty good looking assets here they've got two cleveland seconds coming up in particular that you know maybe that could be enough to get a guy under contract through 2021 now it's tough to know what they need because we haven't seen zion yet favors maybe they could try to resign him but you know with his injury issue i mean i think he's really been good for them but his injury issues really worry you and and they've got Hayes who they I presume want to bring in there at some point as a start I wouldn't anticipate him being ready for a playoff level a team to start next year but is there any particular need that sticks out to you before we start saying who might be available it's challenging because of the Zion Williamson factor in here I would say another another wing would be useful. I don't know necessarily. I mean, it's probably going to be a, an off the ball type of wing, but somebody who can hit open threes and defend is always a use for any team. And yeah, I, I mean, Covington could be a nice yeah. fit there. We were just talking about with the Wolves. Um, now, do you want to go with a first round pick? You know, I mean, there are these Lakers picks that are out there in the future, but you know, those probably don't come due until 2022 at the earliest they got all these swap rights they got the deferral but that only amounts to two picks and then they've also got the two uh cleveland seconds most likely so i mean the two cleveland seconds for covington and you trade miller for him wolves interested in that eh? Eh? i mean maybe they don't value covington as highly as we do um that, that's a that's a lot for for covington considering bogdan bogdanovich that's to, to me bogdanovich i mean he's gonna get paid sooner so and that's a downside and considering how flush the market is generally not necessarily yeah. this offseason <sighs> I, I mean they should have enough room below the tax to re-sign bogdanovich and give brandon ingram his mega contract right right that should be and this is actually something i talked about with ben golver on real jam radio on on friday is new orleans is a quintessential example of this of if they wait until the summer of 21 which they could theoretically have more flexibility depending on what happens with lonzo ball there is a lot of variance there and i if if i were david griffin i would say assuming you can get reasonable talent probably better to avoid the variance of free agency and just try to get players now and i think that's the idea that you're getting at covington I, I mean they need one other like true three on this team though like ingram is really the only one and they've got a lot of guys who are kind of bogdanovich's side so yeah covington is an interesting one for me that that is one that i would be rodney magruder might be someone i'd be interested in too uh you know that would be a lower price potentially than what we're talking about um you know a stretch four with maybe a little more juice 
defensively than Nicola Melli. Not sure who that is. Uh, Gallinari, to me, maybe is he might be a little too expensive for them, a little too old, a little too, uh, a little too injured. Marcus Morris, maybe could be a thought. He wouldn't be a terrible fit next to Zion. All right, that's yeah. probably enough on well, that question. Let's but get that's into a really interesting the one question because this kind of ties in a little bit from at Shambler underscore Matt. Basically, how how much will the Pelicans could succeed before Drew Holiday's off the market? What are your thoughts on moving him? And so, a little piece of context: Drew Holiday. This is his age twenty nine season. He turns thirty before next season, and Holiday Holiday after this year he has 26.2 million with um in 2020/21 and then he has a 26.9 million dollar player option in 2021. I think that squaring up everybody is a little bit overstated. Yeah, that's a wonderful idea. Oh, yeah, yeah, the whole timeline like is he on their timeline yeah, or not? Yeah, is he on deal? their timeline? Like, yeah, sure, in an ideal world that is that is preferable. I, I, I mean, sometimes it's tough cuz then you get everyone coming up for free agency Exa- at the same exactly. time like and, and but, so, like if you you look at for example the wizards sort of had everyone on the same timeline right with wall beal and porter and then they ended up letting both beal and porter get to restricted free agency and they ended up kind of having to pay all three of those guys and then just being stuck and kind of taxed out a little bit you know so that can go wrong for you even though you know perhaps you can argue they didn't manage that correctly it can and i think drew is a particularly good fit as they figure out what's going on with zion williamson i mean we saw zion in the preseason before things really got started with the ball in his hands a little bit more that's something you and i both liked in his film at duke and drew holiday can work in kind of a combo role so he can have the ball in his hands he can he can run an offense and i think he's a good fit and remember that the player option you know that could end up burning the pelicans but i don't think they move him too quickly especially with i mean i would say overall this season has been a positive that they could be competitive sooner rather than later so i think they keep him for now and then if things swing either in the offseason or more likely before the trade deadline in 2020 then maybe you make it i'm oh, not sure if time. you heard the timer go off during that but yeah. no i actually can't hear that oh, Okay, so uh, the, unless the you have cardioid some... microphone doing its look, doing its work. look at that. Uh, so let's move on to the Oklahoma City Thunder. The Thunder are now twenty-two and seventeen. They are seven and three since the last fifteen and sixty, all the way up to thirteenth in net rating plus one point six, nineteenth in offense, twelfth in defense. Five thirty-eight projects them to win forty-five games, which puts them not only seventh in the West, but puts them seventh in the West by a full seven games and gives them appropriately, according to that projection, a ninety-four percent chance of making the playoffs. And I think a, an interesting question to deal with, at least briefly, is from Kate Colburn: Would the Thunder be better off losing? their top 20 protected first this year in what is considered to not be a great class instead of losing their 22 and 23 second round picks that would convey if that first rounder is not conveyed this year Oof. Oh, there's no way it can get into the uh right and, and that and that's the main the, point i wanted to say is 20. that remember the structure of this year is that there are really a strong top six in each conference and that those are based on record that's not based on any sort of lottery so the thunder don't really have a whole lot of choice in the matter but also second round picks unless those are let's say if the thunder have one of the 10 worst records during that time they're not as super valuable so i would say it is better for them to delay it and we have no idea where the thunder are going to be at that point so yeah it's better 
off. Um, but it is an interesting question just in terms of the value, the value conveyed either way. But we can go to the one from uh, at JPOSU. How is Oklahoma City's three-guard lineup able to hold up reasonably well defensively? I looked this up a little bit on cleaning the glass and also, of course, watching their film. That's been Yeah, really- my eyes just about popped out of my head. I just looked it up right now. Yeah. and Of, I, of the differential with those three it's, guys? It's it's shocking. And I mean, a lot of that is offensively. They've been, they've been dominant on the offensive end. But defensively, there are a couple different things to point to. One is they've been forcing a lot of turnovers. That's not a huge surprise when you have Chris Paul on the floor. But there is a lot, 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 lot of opponent shooting luck there. And so while I think you want to give Steven Adams and you want to give those three guys credit, especially because they've been playing without a traditional four a lot of that time, it's been Gallo and a few other guys. But there is a lot of shooting luck there. And so this could be a circumstance like the Denver Nuggets we talked about earlier in the podcast. We didn't focus on this as much, but that generally shooting luck comes down to earth, especially when you're dealing with small sample. Yeah, I mean, the offense has been preposterous with that group on the floor 135 and a half offensive rating remember this is the unit that they close with a lot of times so and chris paul has been maybe the best clutch player in the nba this season and i mean you remember the early on in the year they were way underperforming their point differential like oh they're losing all these close games and now they've just been going crazy in these close games so yeah i mean that closing lineup that they have with Gallo at the four and Adams at the five has been really effective and 521 possessions that's not a tiny number you know it's about five games worth uh with those three guards on the floor together and and they don't start the game so this is mostly end to halves that you're seeing all those guys together and that's uh, when you're going to make the most difference especially at the end of the second half and the thing that I would add though in terms of why it's working other than just random variation yeah that is not you know the greatest lineup in NBA history so it's probably going to come down a little bit is part of it's chris paul i mean yeah go ahead sorry oh no go ahead you're you're rolling right (laughs) uh part of it is that chris paul can guard larger players but another part of it is you know for example they're playing the nets the other night right and chris paul has this awesome end of the game hits a eight million elbow jumpers in a row and rocks the nets to sleep who on the nets are you like oh man shea gill just alexander is too small to guard this guy as a three like there's no there's a lot of teams where you just that lack of height isn't going to get you and you've got enough size with adams where you can hold up okay and gallo i think has been a little better defensively this year than he was last year for the Clippers and so that's really what it is it's like there's not that many teams where you're just like oh man now if you're trying to win in the playoffs yeah you know you'd probably be in trouble but in your day-to-day regular season not that much of an issue how much time do we have left here oh uh, we we have about two and a half minutes um we can start with this one from at red fork lawyer what would it take for you to trade gallinari adam Schroeder, and chris paul basically how do you balance short-term and long-term goals chris paul is such a gigantic piece in terms of his salary i think that those trades are entirely separate gallinari to me i think that if, if a team gives you real positive value remember that with him pending free agent the only one actually of yeah. those four who is a pending for, free agent. for gallo i'd say it, it would take a first rounder yeah i mean a really to me if it's like a clear top five second and we kind of have an idea of who the worst teams are i would consider it there um but yeah although again that, who's trading for him that has that right, second exactly so it was, o- other than maybe the pels the pels is the only one yeah and remember that with gallinari what why i i talked about him specifically as a 
as a pending free agent is that hopefully you have a better idea of what it's going to take to resign him. And Adams and Schroeder and Chris Paul, those guys are under contract, so you know exactly what it's going to take to retain them because you already are retaining them as is. And yeah, I, can I break in on those three guys? Sure. I would say honestly, probably anything positive. Yeah, I mean, especially like Adams is a very good player, and I think he's been an underappreciated part of their success, especially recently. But he's paid so much. Well, and I guess I mean the question also is what's coming back, right? If you say okay, uh, I'll give you a first round pick, but you got to take back Gorgie Jang and some other salary filler. Yeah, I'd probably do that. If it's hey, you got to pay take back forty million of crap for the same amount of time that Chris Paul's contract runs, is a first rounder enough for that? I mean, maybe just because you want to get bad and have your own first rounder for. A, a little bit here i mean when you really go through it yeah these guys they, they seem like kind of a nice story but as far as like who the keepers are on this team going forward it's like shay and that's it right now to really be excited about right uh, and and that's the real concern i mean yeah sure guys like terrence ferguson and diallo are interesting but this isn't the young positive guys outperforming expectations it's they have a lot of veterans and that ties in with the idea that i was hammering their over at the beginning of the season was they have more talent but that talent that they had was not exactly young talent it was veteran holdover talent and they haven't traded any of those dudes yet also the timer just went. ah very well let's go to the 16 and 23 phoenix suns riding the ship slightly five and five since the last 15 and 60 the deandre ayton and aaron baines experiment is over for the time being ayton was brought off the bench with the excuse that he needs more time to get his rhythm but monty williams was very clear to say da is a starter in this league um so i did not see that game but let me try to go back uh, and watch they did beat charlotte uh 192 net rating 17th in the nba negative 1.5 17th on offense 19th on defense 34 wins projected right now playoff odds only seven percent i do think that 538 is really understating the playoff odds for some of these teams like memphis and phoenix because it's just like the bar is so low right now that if any of these teams can catch lightning in a bottle and same thing with the spurs too and i think the spurs are really starting to catch that uh we'll get to them but if any of these teams can catch lightning in a bottle and just like play well for two or three weeks it's like they could get in you know and yeah maybe there's a feeling that these teams aren't that good and they haven't played that well they don't have that good of players but so far but i really think it's just it's such a low bar right now that any of these teams i'm not ready to totally rule them out sacramento i feel a little bit lower on but even them uh, I, I would not be ruling out as of yet so um right and it, and it doesn't take too much of a hot streak i think that's something that's true of the east and the west right now and phoenix certainly eligible for that uh, let's do the question from cooper heard right now would you take deandre Ayton or marvin bagley for the next 10 years what if you had to play them at power forward or center i would take Aiden. i had Aiden higher in the draft process and part of it i mean it's so crazy because we're dealing with such a small sample with deandre Aiden because he had played in that first game and then got suspended and i'm more intrigued by his defensive potential at center and i think that his you know you can make an argument that bagley's more productive right now but i think i like Aiden's overall offensive tools better but more importantly it's like the physical profile type stuff that i think that he it, it's not 
not a gargantuan difference for me between the two, but I, I just think that he profiles better for the average NBA team, and he's a more natural center to me, and I think that there's more, if I were to buy the idea that either one of them is viable defensively, I would buy it more for Aiton than for Bagley. Absolutely. Aiton at least has some ability to switch. He does have the long arms, which Bagley doesn't. He does have some size to defend in the post, which Bagley doesn't really, you know, I mean, Marvin Bagley trying to defend Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid, like you just start laughing, right? Like, whereas uh, Aiton, I don't think that's the, the case at all. I also think Aiton's injury history is less concerning to me. Um, and Aiton has been probably a little better offensively, even, I, I would say, at this point. He's at least efficient, whereas Bagley is like not even that efficient uh, as of now. So, uh, yeah, I think Aiton would be the guy for me, like pretty clearly uh, between those two. I, and I'm not really sure what area I would point to that bet you could even make the argument for Bagley. What, what, if you're going to make the argument for Bagley, what would it be? Maybe the idea of positional versatility. I mean, that Bagley, if, if you... <laughs> that, he can, that, that he doesn't fit at either position. Yeah, I mean, so if he doesn't fit at either position, maybe he <laughs> fits better with a, a center. And but yeah, I mean, at least Aiton, it's like, if he is what you thought he was going to be, you could see how that's valuable. You can see how you can fit around. Now, you can question whether he's going to get there defensively or not. You can question whether he can be a dominating offensive player but at least if he is what he's supposed to be that works even Bagley if he is what that's supposed to be it's like that's got to be so good to make all the other trade-offs with him worth it yeah uh I'll do this question from Kalash JN1 should the Suns use the Tyler Johnson expiring contract and Dario Saric to get Gallinari or Kevin Love I will go more in the abstract and then work forward which is I'm actually writing a piece right now for the athletic about the idea of teams using teams that are going to be over the cap using expiring contracts and conceptually, yes, if you can find the right player, I think that's the right decision. As long as it doesn't push you over the over the tax, which I'm guessing Robert Sarver is not willing to do on it, the Suns team that is not going to make the playoffs this year. Whether Gallinari or Kevin Love is the right option, I think is the more interesting question. Gallinari is not unless he's willing to resign and you have a guess on what that price is going to be because he could be a good fit for this year. You know, the Suns are 17th in offense. I think he would really help them there. But unrestricted free agent, older than their core so not as good a factor there and kevin love he's just a negative value contract so i would say conceptually yes if you could get who's a better player right now kevin love or daniel gunnery i think i'd rather have gallo for just this year i mean that's tough right you would like to think that love is better offensively i mean love to me actually has like a more versatile jump shot he does Uh, the offensive rebounding with love that's really a thing of the past at this point in time it seems like you know he's got this post-up ability but he hasn't really been efficient in the post this year and you know I'm, I, he's very both of them are extremely reliant on like drawing total bullshit fouls yeah i think i probably like gallo just because uh like with we were just talking about with bagley like gallo at least he's not a good defender but he at least fits into a defensive position and i think you can they built a competent defense around i think you really struggle to build a competent defense with kevin love at this point right and i think a player who even if gallo is better served as a four than a three at least you can work a little bit more with that than than kevin love's deficiencies and i mean we've seen oklahoma city i think do it relatively well we were talking about that idea of the Thunder three guard lineup doing well. Gallinari is the most frequent power forward in those lineups, so they've been able to survive it pretty well. Though obviously, there's some opponent shooting luck. How are we doing on time? Yeah, I think we're we're, we're well. We're right well so I guess actually. we never we're, we that, never that fully answered that is the timer right now. Okay. Well, well we never fully answered the question. Sure. Yes or no? Should they should they do that if they could basically trade for Kevin Love for free right now or Gallo? Gallo, you probably have to give up something, but you know, a second.
second rounder or something maybe if it's nominal for gallo i do it if it's nominal for love i would not yeah i think you're right it just i mean i still think they love to me i think they can do better with that money in in phoenix if ayton and booker start building into what you hope they could be maybe this could be at least somewhat of a free agent destination especially with Ubre having this nice year i think that he he really changes the planning a little bit because i don't know exactly what his defensive role is but at least he can be a part of the rotation okay blazers 16 and 24 two and eight their fortunes have changed they looked like they were a pretty good lock for the eighth seed last time uh, we talked about them uh on this segment and so two and eight now negative 1.7 net rating that is 18th in the nba offense has dropped to 13th which is just i mean that's really the scarier thing that the defense is 24th and they project for the ninth seed 37 wins only one win below the pels they're still in it 26 percent playoff odds here uh zach height asks can the Blazers make a move to get into contender status? Uh, I, is or is this the team that we have for this year? And I think I talked about this with Tom Habershow. Some he had written a, an article saying the Blazers should trade for Kevin Love, and I, I didn't agree with him. We, we did that pod last Thursday. It's good, good pod overall, and uh, hopefully when I'm on it, uh, just as much so. But his thought was, yeah, trade for Love, and I said, hey, you know what? Like this year, I think is done. Like Nurkic is going to come back. He's not going to be the same guy at least not for enough minutes to make a huge difference you're gonna be the seventh or eighth seed for sure there's no way you're getting up to six even if you make it in probably even no way you're making it up to seventh unless some calamity befalls okc so look at this year as, as a wash and this is like the good year of love this year and next year and then you're looking at bad contract going forward for two years after that and this team needs to get better defensively number one and you know i think their offense is fine if they just could get a little bit more off the bench and so love Love to me doesn't help you that much and so i think it really makes more sense to stand pat for them Dan, because they're not going to do anything this year zach collins will be back Nurkic should be back you know they're missing two starters basically they're only two good you know quality well, front and court possibly players three starters depending on rodney hood yeah i mean although i i think he i wouldn't expect to get anything from him next year either. right that's, that's but, the challenge but i mean you know and hood's not that great but missing him has been a major problem they just don't have anything behind him so and maybe you know they bring back carvalho next year on the minimum just to be a backup hopefully hopefully not a starter because you're just you're always going to be limited defensively and he takes a lot of shots and he's still below average fish he's he's definitely an nba player i don't know like these people were thinking like i said he wasn't an nba player uh no the idea was that it was hard to see what kind of a team he would help well the answer was a team that you know that was actually a contender and the answer was a team that lost all their forwards so it's not like i don't think that he was good oh yeah if, if houston had just treated him better he would have really contributed there no that's ridiculous uh in any event no i don't think they should do anything this year i think they should see what's out there in the summer i thought they would be likely to trade their first round pick this year i don't think that that makes any sense unless they can get a player that they might bring back and maybe that's gallinari if there's a you know all right we'll make the ac this year and then we can get you back for a good price that we wouldn't be able to afford next year because they're they're really looking at around the mid-level exception now next year right yeah or, well, well with, actually, with, if yeah. we assume that rodney hood's going to opt in the number that yeah. i've been using is 12.5 million and and uh, you know who else might opt in is uh mario Azonia. no i think 
take those chances and pick, pick up a spare option. <laughs> but Hizonia is, you know, like, so you have those two guys in, and that leads to the 12.5 million estimate. And remember that as the cap keeps rising, the non-taxpayer mid-level is about 10 million. So once you get close to that point, you yeah. kind of might as well lean over. It's not like their pending for agents are super expiring, but are super inspiring, sorry, expiring. They are super expiring. Yeah, yeah but you, you can't give up what could be a lottery pick for Danilo Gallinari in this year and then lose him for nothing right exactly and and that, so- now they could one thing that they could do would be extend him for one more year after getting him yeah then that would be allowed because of how much money he's making right now yeah like the same as Kyle Lowry basically uh and they couldn't give him more than a five percent raise they wouldn't give but, him a five percent raise but that's okay yeah uh, off of the joint I, I mean well you might have to do that just to get him to to say no i'll do this rather than try to get a long-term contract elsewhere but maybe you know if all he's going to have elsewhere is the mid-level then you could say hey we'll trade for you sign you to that one-year extension i mean maybe okc should consider doing that as well frankly uh and and maybe even think about or maybe even a longer extension and then you know a two-year extension and try to trade him in the offseason anyway that's uh we're getting far afield here yeah Uh, anything else to say about this idea of the blazers making a trade this year i I think that the the thing that they need to be on the prowl for is a player who is under contract that the the trading team just doesn't see as positive value. But I don't know who those players are. I'm going to do some work on that moving forward. We knew this question briefly from. Uh, yeah, I mean, could they be a Covington team? If what, Neil what, would they value give up forwards conceptually? But would they give up? I always think you're too hard for that. But uh, would you give up? Uh, you know, would, let's say you lotto protect that pick this year, and so hey, you make it in the playoffs when you get Covington. Great if not it rolls over to next year would would i don't think minnesota does a deal like that when you consider the downside of if if portland misses the playoffs this year then it could be a bottom 10 pick next year i think they can do better maybe i i don't know i don't i don't think they're you know maybe if nurkic and collins and coming to i mean that's that's that starts to look like a pretty good starting five there all of a sudden it does exactly uh, although we may zach collins might end up being because of how badly they've fallen apart and how little they had behind him he, he might end up looking a little overrated at this point yeah, um, that's entirely possible. Uh, let's do this question briefly from uh, Francis Mock. What is your view of Nasir Little? Is his expected value a more athletic Mo Harkless? First of all, Mo Harkless, I think, might be underappreciated by Blazers fans just because, remember, a competent defensive forward is hard to find. And Harkless was a reluctant three-point shooter. But, I mean, that that's yeah. worth stating. And I, I, I mean, Mo, to me, like, he might be more athletic than Nasir in a lot of ways. I mean, be. he's not, like, attacking the basket, but as, like, a quick jump finisher around the rim i think i mean now nasir is young so he could get more athletic but i mean i thought mo was very underrated in that respect yeah and and harkless was a reluctant three-point shooter but let's go through this a little bit nasir little part of why i think you can compare the two of them is because they're both low usage forward options right now and nasir little 13.8 usage and 1.9 assists per 100 possessions so not exactly taking a ton of possessions little at this point again small sample size here he's six of 36 from three in the nba which is 17 percent. that's real bad but he was i mean that's such a low number exactly so low volume with as much as he's played it is too. such a low volume and he was a 27 percent three-point shooter last year that was part of why he fell in the draft in the yeah. first place so i think the hark like bringing in the name of more harkless might actually do little a disservice it's possible he gets to that kind of level but i'm not certain of it at this point well or do do mo a disservice you mean yeah both of them in some ways i mean little he does to me he doesn't have the defensive versatility as a as a as a floor you know like 
he can get there, obviously. But, he, you know, it's more expected value or ceiling rather than like, oh, that that would be a disappointment that, which is how I interpreted the question. Okay, seven minutes on the clock here for the 15 and 24 Kings. Three and seven since the last 15 and 60. Negative 3.4 net rating, 24th in the NBA. 21st on offense, 18th on defense, 33 projected wins, 5% chance of the playoffs. Again, just not that big of a difference between even a team like New Orleans. I mean, these are how many of these teams are in this five win range from 38 to 33? Are you asking and, and this I mean, conceptually, we, or do you want me to give you an answer? Because I can give you an answer. Yeah, please. Yeah, let's hear it. There are seven Pels, Blazers, Wolves, Grizzlies, Suns, Spurs, Kings. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're going to divide 100% by it, and because really all of these teams are chasing the AC that we're looking at now. So, you know, what is, what is that? If you just, just set a normal distribution, each of those teams has an equal chance. That's uh, dividing by seven is such a pain. It's in the 14%. Ass. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think I think this is a good place to start with uh, Gabriel Prusak's question. There has been a lot of trade speculation around Bogdan Bogdanovich, including on this podcast. Uh, but do you think the Kings actually get a deal done? If so, what would be positive value? And my instinct is no. I don't think they get one done. I, you know, I think that the rumors about Kyle Kuzma are instructive and the idea of calibrating yeah. value. And yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, we were dismissive of that, but I don't th- like in a vacuum, that's not that bad of a trade. It isn't. It's but, just for the Kings. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. It, it part of it is because like a player of Kuzma's value, I think could could be there, but Kuzma specifically, it just reinforces a lot of the things that frustrate us about the Kings. So that's yeah, why I mean, he, I he might so not specific. be as good, but he's got more team control and you know probably not as valuable of a position. But he's younger, so it, like it kind of evens out. And so he's shown a lot of flashes as a scorer. I mean, it's not. It wouldn't be an insane trade just on value. It's just they got a billion guys that position already exactly like trading bogdanovich for kuzma would look so much better if they hadn't just re-signed harrison barnes for too much damn money but they did so that's that's a part of the reason why we're there and i I think part of the challenge especially when you're trading a player in season which is obviously what the bogdanovich trade would be at this moment is calibrating value gets even harder because the kings even if they're thinking they're on the low end of the potential playoff picture you think about what maybe the market sours on bogdanovich a little bit or that he can fit in and the uncertainty certainty even though they have him under contract now with the extension of buddy healed and so bogdanovich kind of gives them some outs so my instinct is that they keep him and then i don't exactly know where the market goes but remember that if bogdanovich he has that high cap hold as a non-rookie scale player that if the market is you know the if the non-mid-level teams if the cap space teams are not super interested in in bogdan bogdanovich then things get to the king's range really quickly so they offered him that four years 51 he apparently turned that down he thinks he's going to get more agents generally have a pretty decent idea of what's going to be out there some we've seen it go awry for some of these guys worth noting that he turns 28 in august but and and maybe this is what you're referring to his qualifying offer is 125 percent of what he's making this year which is over 10 million dollars just for his qualifying offer and then he could if he could take so you could have a one-year 10 million dollar contract and then be a total 
total free man if the restricted free agent market doesn't materialize or he doesn't get the offer that he wants from the Kings. And I think that's part of the thought of turning down the extension is you can basically get one year and then be a free man the, the year after that. Now, there's also Buddy Heald on this team. He doesn't get to play as much as he wants to. Maybe there'd be a team that come with an offer sheet. Like, uh, I think he'd look pretty good in a Hawks uniform. There's Well, and, and not only that, but I think the idea in a Memphis that, in a Grizzlies uniform. It seems like teams are going to hoard 2021s because of right. potentially Giannis, but also it's a pretty strong free agent class and Bogdanovich could be a lot of teams' third choice. And while that is less appetizing in a year like now where almost all the teams out of space aren't very good and there aren't that many of them, in 2021, maybe that ends up being a pretty desirable offer, especially if you think that Sacramento will have a similar amount of money on the table then, if not more. So this is pretty interesting. He and Evan Fournier are basically the same age. Fournier obviously has been around in the NBA much longer and has made a lot more money. He's also could be an unrestricted free agent this year. But those guys, in theory, I mean, very similar games, I would say, uh, will be competing with one another to try to get a spot. Now, their incumbent teams have bird rights. That's something interesting to think about. I, I mean, to me, you know, I think he's like, you know, a 16, 17 million dollar a year player of just that's what I think he's worth. But with restricted free agents, the question is always, can you get that? Um, um, and they have healed at that position. They have some potential tax concerns. But I mean, I'll tell you what, too, Danny, like, like, oh, they got a plan for Bagley's extension. Well, Marvin Bagley hasn't done shit. I know he's the number two pick, but like, you're going to let Bogdanovich go because you might have to pay Bagley in two years when you don't even know if he's going to be worth paying. It, How are we doing on time here? I know I went on, on that a lot. We, we had a number of Bogdanovich questions, though. So. Yeah, Should we I, do this I, Luke, Luke Walton question? Yeah, we're, we're at 30 seconds, but we can do it lightning style. Okay. Uh, Puka Yuka. <laughs> uh, I wonder if that's related to the fact that they pass on Luca. Uh, thoughts on Luke Walton? It seems like a genuine downgrade. Yeah, I mean, the thought was that he would at least connect with the players better. Well, you have Dwayne Dedman asking for a trade, granted, because he's not playing, and Buddy Heald complaining that he's not playing at the end of games and then having to apologize. So it doesn't seem like the chemistry is like so much better than it was before. And they're playing at this crazy slow pace, and that hasn't really improved since Fox came back. I don't know if it was Dave Yeager just screaming at the top of his lungs for them to run last year, whether the league has caught up with that whether it's the loss of Collie Stein which you know Hollinger thought that that was a big deal but that's you know I wouldn't put it all on him for the fact that they don't run anymore yeah I mean it seems like and you also have to remember I think that they were maybe a little over their heads last year they weren't as good once they got Barnes so yeah maybe it is a downgrade uh in terms of tactics and you know he hasn't necessarily made up for it with some uh, amazing uh charisma as as Ethan Strauss would say about Luke Walton are you ready to move on to the San Antonio Spurs so this is the team that I was not ready to bury yet and you know if you really had to handicap it I know their schedule is hard but hey guess what they're just beating all these good teams that were on this hard schedule yeah, so I mean, far I mean they, they beat the Raptors on Sunday shortly before yeah. we recorded this yeah and that was with Pascal Siakam back and playing well at least in the first half 17 and 21 six and four in their last 10 against the aforementioned hard schedule negative 0.7 net rating 15th in the nba eighth on offense 21st on defense they project for 33 wins again 538 just not a fan of this group and their upcoming schedule 
I think the thing we need to talk about a little bit here, just in general, is how many more threes they're shooting. Uh, they It's really gone up incrementally throughout the course of the year to where over the last month or so, I, I ran the numbers, I don't remember the exact dates. I think it was since December 15th. They're shooting like, or in January it is, they're shooting 33 threes a game. That was before the Toronto game. And LaMarcus Aldridge all of a sudden is shooting like five or six a game. He's stepping back. There's now DeRozan is having his best stretch probably in a Spurs uniform in part because he's the one guy who has isn't taking that many more he's taking a few uh but he's got so much more space to work with Derek white DeJounte murray those guys are shooting more and the defense i i thought was really good against the celtics in that game midweek last week that they beat them pretty handily although kemba walker did get ejected during a celtics comeback but the the spurs were up most of that game so i i'm uh i think this would probably be my favorite to get the eight seed right now there is absolutely a reasonable argument for it and how well the team is playing a lot of times can be more predictive than the quality of the opponents they're facing. Um, this is a uh, question from Donnie Rodriguez. Should the Spurs use a three-guard lineup of Murray, White, Forbes, and then with DeMar Rosen at the four against smaller lineups? Yeah, I mean, it's a possibility, but I think that when you're playing Murray and White together, what DeRozan brings is a little bit less valuable. DeRozan can be ball dominant at times. He's not the best defender in the world. So I think that, to me, the choice is you want two of three of Murray, White, and DeRozan, and you you can play two of those three in a lot of different alignments, but I don't think you want DeRozan at the four if that's your theory behind why you're shifting. Well, and he's already too bad defensively at the three, and you just you're not going to have enough rim protection. Lamarcus is looking a little more spry defensively, but you're not going to have enough rebounding. You're not going to have enough rim protection there, I don't think. And I don't know that there's enough spacing with that group to even like really juice the offense. Like the reason you go small is to juice the offense. And I guess maybe the thought is, well, you've got good defenders with White and Murray, but neither of those guys are really big enough to check the best threes. De- DeRozan can't do it either. Maybe against some teams you could get away with it. But you know, Rudy Gay is a good player. You know, I think I think you is a pretty good argument to me that he's a better player than White, uh, and he, he continues to shoot the well, ball and, well. And in that's the, Spurs the other uniform. reason teams go small is that they don't have good enough players to go pick. And I don't think yeah. that's true necessarily for the for the spring um in your podcast with Hunter, you said you can't see much progress in Derek white's skill set averaging uh 1.08 points possession is pick and roll ball handling comparison is 0.88 last year too small of a sample size uh because i think there's real improvement in this aspect of his game yeah i think it's too small of a sample size uh, frankly i mean when i've watched i haven't been like wowed at what he's been doing there let me i'll look up what what how many possessions he actually has there as a pick and roll ball handler but uh, i mean to me it was more in terms of his fit and the shooting but since we talked about that it was a couple weeks ago now that he's joining this brigade of shooting more i mean who knows whether i mean there has to have just been like some kind of a coaching instruction right that everyone is all of a sudden shooting more threes well and something hollinger brought up on twitter is the unusual nature of it happening in season there have been bigs in particular who didn't shoot them in previous years of their career marcus Ol, who hollinger was in the front office for being one of those but doing it in season is just so different it's so weird yeah, so White, 115 possessions is a pick and roll ball hand. That's more than I was expecting. And shooting 50% on such plays. But he is, most of that is driven by shooting 1.2 points per possession, 56% E field goal percentage on jumpers off the dribble in the pick and roll. And so that really is what's driving it. Now, I do like that when he takes it to the rim, those numbers are really good, but that's only 26 possessions as well. And he's also six out of 10 on floaters. So there's a lot of, especially when you consider that so much of that is self-created, 
there is some unsustainable jump shooting in there so i'm, I'm not going to go crazy about that i do like those numbers taking it to the basket when he can get all the way there he is an excellent finisher but especially some of that's driven by three-point shooting as well so yeah i mean if you're talking about 60 70 jump shots that's probably not enough to draw any huge conclusions from um all right let's do a lightning round here uh, from frankly, are you surprised that Aldridge has been shooting three so well? He's at 44% from three. I'm not super surprised that he's shooting it this well. What has shocked me is the dramatic increase in frequency. And this has come up in terms of Justice Winslow and Brandon Ingram pre this year, and to some degree this year, is that how often you take them is many times more important than how many of them make. And and Aldridge ratcheting that up, especially because defenses have to guard him there because he's a wonderful shooter, is a fundamental change. Here's another point I'd make too on him is it's not because he's he's a guy who is a really good shooter and always had a good mid-range reputation even teams do not want to leave him open for mid-range for a spot up or a pick and pop but the fact that he's simply standing further away makes it so much harder to close out to him and they're not playing as many two big lineups as they did last year remember there was he and Pirtle starting in the playoffs last year and those guys have barely played any minutes together so far this year so just making that center he was always going to get guarded but now that he's standing behind the three-point line instead of two steps further in that makes him a lot more difficult to guard as well um how are we doing on time we need we got time for more We're, we we just hit the timer but if there's something you really want to answer we- uh would you pick him for all-star this year who would be your west reserves we'll save that i'm sure we'll have a whole pod on that i haven't really gotten into that um do you think the spurs could still eclipse 45 wins again that's a lot i'm not gonna write it off but i mean they did it last year but remember uh, they also and- don't need 45 wins to make the playoffs in the west they might not even need yeah. 45 to win the, to get the seven seed yeah i'm not i wouldn't rule it out could they any chance rule yes utah on a roll right now i mentioned earlier in that memphis section they have the number one offense in the nba 118 points per 100 possessions since december 15th they are shooting the shit out of the basketball i mean it is very interesting that this surge coincided with the demise of mike conley with those hamstring issues but nine and one in their last 10 up to seventh the nba in net rating 12th on offense they read i mean it's been a crazy f- switch flip i mean they're in the 20s before this recent run and to play 118 offensive rating ball for a month and to still only be 12th it shows you how bad it was before them defense has been on the wane in that time sixth in the nba still overall still worry about their backup big situation some uh projecting for 54 wins that would be the fourth seed after all this they will be making the playoffs where you want to start here for our last team oh we can start with a question from josh patterson obviously playing weak teams is probably the main reason but what are the other reasons for the jazz recent success has getting rid of jeff green and adding clarkson helped that much or giving the other guys more minutes or starters just performing well i think it's all of the above but having a competent bench and i think the biggest thing that jordan clarkson gives them is a theory offensively of the second unit i mean they just they just didn't really have that and dante exum as much as i believed in his potential yeah. and that's the other thing we can point to by the way is the clarkson acquisition in addition to the demise of conley if right we're being fair. And, and so having the let's call them the non-mitchell minutes be more viable and some of that is also the opponents they're playing i mean it's easier to have good bench minutes when you're playing against shitty teams because shitty teams have bad benches but i think 
Dante Clarkson and just having an overall theory has been a big help. And then also, you know, the offense, including when the starters are playing on the floor, has been materially better. Spencer Ward, what do the Jazz do when Mike Conley comes back? Would you consider trading him with the evolution of Donovan Mitchell at the point guard? They did beat the Wiz today without Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Bogdanovich has just been a monster this season. Um, He's one of the guys who's really been driving their success. Yeah, it's, it's tough to say. And I do think that Joe Ingles is playing a lot better when Conley comes back or you I mean you have to start him I mean I certainly would consider trading him and I might try and get Drew Holiday one that's been floated is Conley for Chris Paul because his contract goes a, a year shorter we'll see though with the feel-good story in OKC if they want to move him now or we'll see what happens in the offseason I do think that compared to Conley, you know, Conley is probably a better mover and off ball spot up guy than Paul is. Paul shoots a nice percentage from three, but I, I think Conley's got a little more versatile jump shot. Paul, to maximize his effectiveness, I mean, he really has to have the ball as a conventional pick and roll player for, and that that could potentially stunt things a little bit for Mitchell. But certainly, yeah, I, would, I mean, if the question is, would I consider trading him? I and mean, we'll see how he plays the rest of the year, but. And I don't think that they're going to move him before the deadline. They want to get him back from the hamstring, try to reintegrate him. I mean, it is, it's going to be tough for him because they've just been so almost unsustainably good offensively without him that there's just naturally going to be a regression and maybe people are going to blame it on him, which probably won't be fair. But I do think that maybe this is good because when he came over there, they probably wanted to say, hey, you know, you're as good as Mitchell is. Conley probably had more stature. And now it's going to really be up to Conley to fit in and, and hopefully he'll be able to do that and hopefully also he'll be able to still help more with some of their second unit problems which have stabilized with Clarkson but he still could use a little more and that gets into the the interesting question from James Buchanan which I'm actually going to pivot in different direction he asked when Conley's back who drops to the bench and for me the starting five is important and players think of that of course but I'm more interested in the closing five because Conley and Mitchell then that means you're presumably because Gobert is is locked in you're pulling one of Royce O'Neal Bojan Bogdanovic or yeah, Joe Bogdanovich isn't going anywhere. Bogdanovich isn't right going now. anywhere. So then it's Ingles yeah. or Royce O'Neal. O'Neal is, to me, their best defensive forward. And then Ingles has been an important part of the rotation. So yeah, I mean, that that's the crystallizing factor. I, I think it just depends on whether you have a specific guy you need Royce O'Neal to guard. And, and maybe if you're playing the Clippers, maybe you take Conley off the floor and you, you get more size with all three of those, those wings. Um, and I think, though, that if they do bring Conley back, that they need to find a way for Conley to play with or, or for uh Ingles to play with Rudy Gobert like that pick and roll combination yeah I, to I totally really have a rule guy is important I mean that's you know Utah maybe they have another trade to make or it could be about destination I mean Ed Davis just after was terrible and then he had that fracture and now Tony Bradley is playing so I don't think Bradley is good enough offensively at, I mean really on either end frankly uh on that second unit so they could really use kind of a, a Dallas Mavs five that undersized guy who can come in and just be a role man like I actually if I were them I might actually consider signing Marquise Chris I think he could actually the idea of you don't ask him to do very much but hopefully he can do yeah that but just well. I mean they just need someone who can get on top of the rim and dunk the ball uh to play on the second unit as a uh and maybe they they'll be able to do better than Chris but someone with some athleticism you can get up and still play a similar way to the way they play offensively with Gobert oh uh, we only have a little bit of time left but I'll do 
this question briefly from Matt Cox. He was asking about the challenges of being on a small market for free agency if they feel snubbed in all-star voting. I don't think most players particularly care that much about that, especially remember how all-star voting works, that the fans vote for, they have a, a part of the voice for starters, but then coaches pick the backup. So the reason Rudy Gobert has not made all-star teams is not primarily because the fan voting is more limited when you have the narrower view and you No, it's because of the coaches. It's because of the coaches. The fan voting is only for starters. Exactly. And, and so, so is the media. And so I don't think I don't think that's a factor. Now there there is player perception about Salt Lake City and a bunch of other things and those can affect it, but I don't think it's all star voting that is a reason Utah struggles. And remember Utah, they just got Bogdanovich, who yeah, he's not a high profile guy in terms of stature, but they paid him a bunch of money and he's been really good for them. So I don't think it's any sort of impossible. And remember Denver got former jazz man Paul Millsap and Millsap had, you know, at, was an over $20 million a year guy too. And it's not like Denver is a huge market. Last one, Slugsy Bogus. Is that a beeline reference? What sort of contract do you think Royce O'Neal will get in the offseason? Well, it'll be in dollars, probably uh, uh, on some pieces of paper, might be signed. Um, Yeah, that's a tough one. He's another one, restricted free agent. Is anyone going to fall in love with him? I, I really like the player a lot, maybe more so. That's one where perhaps an extension could get done could have gotten done i don't think that the jazz are offering him the full josh richardson four years for uh, starting at the 120 percent of the estimated average player salary that four years 51 million that seems like something he might assign but i think around the mid-level exception would be about where it would end up again always depends how the season is going to play out here but i i think he's pretty good but that's the type of player where i think the league can be lower on him than maybe you and i are i agree and it could be a circumstance kind of like marcus smart this is somewhere similar situation and o'neill is an older pending restricted free agent than smart was so yeah i i could i could end up being frustrated with how little he gets and then it ends up being a really good content wouldn't surprise me well it won't surprise you in the least to know that we'll have more episodes this week and we also had hollinger and Doug john and i as referenced in the show discussed the 2020 draft which was a fun to pick his brain with all the scouting that he's done on that we'll have the nba cast this week also stay tuned potentially for a special announcement something that we might be doing on thursday but uh it's not 100 confirmed yet but uh keep your eyes uh, open or your eyes on twitter for that ears open we'll talk about it on the pod i'm sure if it happens uh what do you got to tell us about before we go uh since the last time we recorded real gm radio with ben golliver we talked about the unusual playoff picture teams that should be buyers and sellers all that fun stuff and then that collaborative piece that i mentioned about the minnesota timberwolves with seth and sam vicini that was a lot of fun and i'll have more pieces for the athletic in the next few days all right thanks so much for listening we will talk to y'all later this week till then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.